language for what I'm experiencing. And it is so easy to get lost in, in the world's systems. It is so easy to get lost in the world's systems. It is so easy to get lost in busyness and to, to clutter your mind and your soul with, with all of the things that, that the world is throwing at us. And it's time for us to let the Lord cut through, to cut through, to pierce us, and to bring us back into the main thing, Christ and him crucified, and back into the main thing of what your calling actually is. And so we're going to get into that this morning. Let's first look at 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. So go ahead and flip there. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. He has saved us, and he has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's very good, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That just brings clarity. So clearly, we've been talking about the saving work of the gospel the last few weeks. But not only does he save us, not only do we make him Lord of our lives, but he, he, he brings us out of death into life in Jesus and into the Spirit. And it says that he calls us with a holy calling. He called us with a holy calling. This is a calling far above a, a title, far above any recognition that a man could give you, far above any recognition that a father could give you, a teacher could give you, an employer could give you, far above the accolades that the world could give you, far above any human recognition, it is a holy calling. Holy meaning absolutely set apart. Holy meaning God's absolute shining purity and perfection. And notice that this calling isn't something that we can muster up. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. It's his grace at work. Grace, his free, unmerited favor and power in operation in our lives. And your calling, your calling has a purpose in the heart and mind of God first. And the way that he's designed us to engage with what has been dreamed up in his heart is to A, recognize it by the Spirit. B, desire it by the Spirit. C, begin to step into it, even if with a little timidity. And then D, start taking the land. There's going to be some giants in the land but you're gonna take the land. And the only way, the only way that you will successfully live out your God-dreamed potential is by his grace. It's only by his grace. Grace is the key word because that is where the absolute dependency on our life is, that free, unmerited favor and power that carries us into and carries us through our land of promise. Now, I want to I clarify, there are two main callings in your life. 
I want to make that clear for what we're talking about. And so let me clarify and speak this out over your life. First, I want to say that every single one of you has at least two callings on your life. At least two. Every single one of you. Some of you are like, I'm not sure what mine is. I can, I can barely breathe. I'm just making it through. Somehow I got in the doors here today. I'm showing up. You're chatting at me. I'm here to tell you, God has multiple callings over your life. God is absolutely amped to show you your purpose and what he's called you to be a part of. In fact, you just sitting in the room today, he's like smiling at you. He's like, I can't wait to show you what your calling is in your life. So the two callings, the first type of calling is called a general calling. This is the type of calling that God places on the life of every believer, every follower of Jesus. And this would be true for any born again believer. But those of us who have chosen to not walk in the ways of the Lord, have chosen disobedience, have chosen rebelliousness, selfishness in any kind of way, we get off that path of life. We start to wander. We start to go into the valley because the Lord says time and time again that if you are walking in obedience and uprightness and righteousness, you will be protected by the Lord. There will be a fruitfulness of the Spirit in your life. But he says when you remove yourself from that covering of his grace, be warned. Be warned because you are outside of the strong tower of God and the enemy will take you out. There will not be abundance of life when you start walking in your own ways, when you start living a selfish pattern in your life. It's not because God is trying to control you. He wants his sons and daughters to be those who are living to their full potential. There is a motivation of the heart of God to say, son, daughter, I, I, I can't have you from outside of my wings. Come back to my protection. Don't you know that I just want to be with you and I will give you what you need to succeed in holiness? Don't you, don't you know? I, I'm, 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 I'm knocking again at the door of your heart. Would you open again to me? Because I so want to be with you. I so want to dwell with you and lead you in the ways of righteousness and life and fruitfulness. That is, that is the motivation of the heart of God. Not just sitting up there, like moving us around like chess pieces. That, that, that son of mine slipped up again. I knew it. It's, it's not how he's looking at you. He's like, I'm going to leave the 99 for the one because I just want you to be in my safety, because he is life itself. The motivation changes completely. And I think sometimes, even in charismatic culture, at times, we, we I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready. Sometimes in charismatic culture, we, we say that, that, the, that the main, or sometimes we even say the only motivation for living in righteousness and obedience is the love of God. Now, I, I do believe that. I believe that as we engage with God in intimacy with him, it's like we don't want to break his heart. We, we, we don't want to live outside of what he's, what he's called us to in our lives. But I, as I've been reading scripture and I've been reading the Proverbs recently, and, and I'm just convicted that I, I even believe that before you have that heart attachment and intimacy flowing, he will still respect and honor his word that if you choose righteousness, that protection and that life will still come. And so no matter where you're at, maybe you're not in the like deepest, you know, running through the fields with the Lord season, you know, 90% of you are, that's great. 
But some of you, you're like, I'm not in the fields. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking daffodils with Jesus in my season. That's okay. I'm here to tell you, just, just respond. Respond with a heart that is upright before him. Return to the high place. Let him hold you in his arms and take you by the hand and lead you in by his grace. It's the call of purity. And these are just a few of many general callings and purposes that we have with God as children of light. We are also called priests. We're called sons and daughters. We are called light bearers. We are servants. We are called to carry the great commission. We are called to preach the gospel. And so I want, I want to now tackle this question. Now, how then do we discover and begin to walk in our specific calling? How do you walk in your specific calling? Well, first, you have to be aware of the truth that God does have a very specific call for your life. He has a specific call for your life. What is a specific calling? It's defined as a strong inner impulse. It's that thing within you that's like magnetic, a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action or a vocation, especially, I love this, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence, a.k.a. God. <laughs> divine influence. I want to share for a moment about my own life, um, the calling, the specific calling in my own life. When I was eight years old, I was at a Christian Missionary Alliance missions conference in North Carolina, and there probably were a few thousand individuals there. And at eight years old, when they gave an altar call, do you want to give your life for full-time ministry, um, missions or pastoring or some sort of full-time ministry, come forward? And I have to tell you that it was like a hook from my gut. And, and I was not in a very spirit-filled environment but I felt like a hook from my gut pulling me forward to the altar where, where I came forward. And it, the only way I know how to describe it is that it felt like a welling up and a falling down collision, like a cyclone of God's goodness calling me into the ministry. And I just wept before the Lord knowing that this was my, my life calling that he was assigning me to in my life. And from eight years old, I have, have never wondered if I was going to do anything else. It was a divine move of God. And I know that God doesn't always do such a powerful thing in individuals' lives where it's that clear. But I'm just telling my story, and maybe he will break into your life with something that is a power encounter like that as well. But before I just came in as a pastor and started Evergreen, before all of this, um, there was a process. To any calling, there will be a process. And so from eight to teenage years, I had to, to, to learn to foster my relationship with God, go deep in the word, learn how to pray, engage with community. When I was in high school, we were a church of about maybe 90, 100 on a Sunday. We didn't have a youth group. And so my mom and I were like, why don't we start a youth group? And so we started filling our house with, with both people, started a little bit from our church, and then all of a sudden, people from the neighborhood, we were leading some old neighbors to the Lord, um, people that did not have family found family in our youth group. And at, you know, 16, 17, I'm like shepherding my peers. Sounds vaguely familiar. 
And God was preparing me. He was preparing me how to do so. I prepared some more. I went to, to Bible college in Chicago, um, thinking I was going to be a missionary overseas. I was, I was thinking that that yellow plane that you see Nate Satan going into the jungles and getting killed, I was like, that might be me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the jungles. I will go. Here I am, Lord, send me. And so I was getting ready to go. I was like, maybe I should go to aviation school. Um, you know? Didn't do it. But uh, glad I, well, following the call. All right. So then I, I ended up finishing school. And then, again, process season. Um, it wasn't like I immediately started walking into the royalty of pastoring. You know, it wasn't like that. Um, I valeted cars for a little while because circa 2008, no one's hiring. And I guess I'll shepherd some cars like David. <laughs> Can only do so much with a Bible school degree. I ended up going to, to Bethel Reading for a couple years. That was a life-changing season. Very thankful for that. Back to Chicago where I was working. Um, I worked in some media, photography, some of those kind of things. And um, again, I wasn't aware that God was going to send me to Los Angeles with all of the, the um, training and experience that I had had myself with media. And God will work behind the scenes when, when he's trying to get you to a place that he wants you to go. So then I came down to Los Angeles. I knew the Lord was starting to direct me to larger metropolitan cities in the U.S. I knew that. But I, I wasn't sure where. And I came down to Los Angeles, visited a friend on my way to Arizona. And first night, I had just finished Bible school. We were like prophesying over each other, enjoying God's presence, long worship hours. And then I happened upon this house party in Sherman Oaks. A bunch of actors, a bunch of, you know, who you find in Sherman Oaks. And no other, no other Bethel grads with me. And uh, I was like, stark contrast to ministry school. And so I started uh, sparking conversation with this guy who was, he, he literally was too cool for school. Like, he's like, oh, um, yeah, I'm a model and I'm an actor. And I'm like, cool. And I'm, I'm new to this. You guys understand. So I'm like, what kind of acting do you do? Some of you are like, I'm not supposed to ask that. I don't know. But I asked it. And he goes, adult. And I was like, is he joking? Is he poker face, poker face. He goes, just kidding. I was like, OK. All right, bro, what else do we talk about? Uh, cool, cool, chit-chat, chit-chat. Uh, so I just was like, Lord, this is painful. Um, I was like, I'm just gonna, can you just give me a word for this guy? It's way easier. <laughs> so I was like, okay, hey, I, I feel this thing. And I said, I feel like the Lord is saying da-da-da-da. And I share it with him. He cuts his whole act, turns white as a ghost. He rolls up his sleeve. And what I prophesied was verbatim tattooed on his arm. And he leans forward and goes, you have my attention. We stay up till three in the morning because this guy who had that mask on, when the mask came off with the power of God, he revealed to me that he had acted in a horror film, had become demonized because he was playing a murderer, 
and did not know how to get free from being riddled, riddled by the darkness. And so in 10 days, he was planning to take his life. He had it all planned out. And so the Lord brought me to Sherman Oaks to engage with this guy. And I led him through deliverance, freedom that night. He gave his heart to the Lord. He's like, dude, you don't have to sleep on the floor. Come stay at my place. I got an extra room. He starts inviting people over to his house to minister. And I'm like, LA, you are an interesting city. Take off the mask and everyone's a little puppy. That's all I gotta say. Just a little puppy underneath there. And the Lord, in his faithfulness, in his faithfulness, has prepared me and is preparing you for such a time as this. You know, I came to L.A., didn't really know anyone. I had a couple, a couple friends from Chicago coming in. Wave, Shonda. Shonda came from Chicago. Uh, but we didn't know what the heck we were doing, <laughs> you know? We're like, we just love Jesus. Join us. <laughs> It's kind of still, that's our theme, actually. <laughs> we just love Jesus. Join us. It's going to be on the business card. Um, but it's just following his, his lead, following the Spirit, and, and, and that drawing, that magnetic pull of his calling leading you on as you just choose day after day to give your simple yes before him. And so it's been incredible to see over the years God's faithfulness and how how different it looks than I originally thought at times. Um, but trust, trust is the key. Trust is the key for stepping into grace, into any area that feels full of risk. Trust to take Jesus's hand and to let him lead you on. When I was in Israel in 2018, um, there was a bit of a newer, a newer site um, called Megdala. It's, it's by the Sea of Galilee. And um, they, they've built a recent church there that's actually, some, some of them are, you're like gagging on the incense. It's so, so heavy and, and kind of dark. But this was actually a really beautiful church that they built there. And there was a woman from Ireland that was, was giving this tour to us, um, a Catholic woman who just loved Jesus. And whatever was on her life, she had given like years to live there in at Magdala to, to be a, a guide. And she's like, I just love going up into the caves to be like Jesus, spending time with the Lord. Isn't he good? Don't you just love the Lord? And I'm like, yes, Kathleen, I do. And I don't know what it was. My, my friend Joshua and I, like, as soon as she started giving the tour of this, uh, the archaeological tour, like, I'm like misty-eyed the entire time. It's like one of those people that's just dripping with Jesus. I'm like, I think I want that. That's great. Bless her. And so she, she's giving this tour. We go down, and there's some, like, original Roman roads that you can see. And, um, and down at that place, they were telling about, like, this, this was probably close to where um, Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood, where she, where she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and she was instantly healed, where he said, who touched me? the power of God, the presence of God, so powerful that her issue that no doctors could heal for years with just a touch of the hem of Jesus' garment, she was instantly made whole. The kingdom came upon her and she was brought into wholeness in life. 
That's faith. That's trust. And I'm just sitting there while, while Kathleen's talking and um, just, just having this moment with the Lord where I'm like craving, craving the ministry of Jesus. Can I have that same kind of compassion? Can I have that same kind of love and power operating through my life that the kingdom of God will see healing for the captives, freedom for the captives, releasing of the prisoners and into God's promise, into his life? I want that kind of ministry flowing through my life. And I'm just sitting there with the Lord, and, and um, all of a sudden, as I'm standing there, just open hands, I feel someone grab my left hand, and I'm like, oh, that's nice. Someone probably sees that I'm having a moment. And so I look down, and no one's there. And I knew in my spirit, I was like, that's the Lord. That's Jesus. He's grabbing my hand. And he just said, Tommy, let me take you by the hand and lead you on. I know this is your desire. I know that you want to look like Jesus. Let me take you by the hand and lead you on. I will show you the way. I will show you the way. And there's that simplicity of just letting him take you by the hand, not having it all sorted out, not knowing every step, but we get to live this life where Jesus takes us by the hand and leads us onward. There's nothing like that. Nothing like that. Um, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1 talks about um, his specific calling to apostleship. And let's read that together. Galatians 1.13. For you have heard my former conduct in Judaism. Remember, Paul was persecuting Christians. He was a high-level ranking Jew, um, incredibly intelligent, and he was persecuting um, new converts to Jesus. And he says, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You called, we answered. Sometimes I like just to respond to the little, the little disruptions in the room. Keeps it spicy. All right. It wasn't the best one, but I did it. All right. The Lord, maybe the Lord speaks through the little moments, right? Am I right? Thank you. Thank you. I'm a dork, if you didn't realize. I'm really... Got a, I got that nerdy side in me. Okay. Back to Paul. Um, he's talking about being exceedingly zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, and the call was to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul is speaking about his specific calling, not just a general calling. He's addressing his specific calling that God literally cherry-picked him from his specific role in promoting the gospel at that time in history. And we learned last week that Paul's natural features, his natural features were nothing really to, to take note of. Um, historians kind of believe that he was short and bow-legged and maybe not the most appealing to look at. He wasn't even the most eloquent, but God's spirit was upon him. That's what set him apart. His eloquence of speech didn't give him a platform. It was the power of the spirit that brought grace and authority. 
And so right now I want to pause and quickly address a, a big, big fatty of a misconception. I know that some of you are from the West Side and you know that there's a restaurant in Mar Vista called Little Fatty. Um, and I'm about to give you Big Fatty. Big Fatty, the Big Fatty here is that it's only people in ministry that have a calling from the Lord. Someone say boo. It's not just pastors, missionaries, professors, worship leaders, and so on. Yes, they have a ministerial kind of calling, but all of y'all, all y'all have ministerial callings. All of y'all. And that's why that's a big fatty kind of lie, because all followers of Jesus, yes, even you, are called to a life of ministry and purpose. Jeremiah 1, verse 4. This is, this is the Lord speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, but, but what was spoken to him prophetically, let's look at that, and I, I believe there's a living rhema to it as well. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Do you know that before you were formed in the womb, he knew you? Before you were born, I sanctified you. This... There is, uh, there is not a soul in this room today that God did not form in your mama's womb with glistening hope in his eyes, that his heavenly fatherly delight was, was to bring you into the world right now in this moment of history. It is not a mistake that you are here in 2024. You are here in this year for such a time as this. You are in this city right now. Right now, you're seated in, the, seated in this room, and there's a reason that you're in Los Angeles. God has an immense purpose and passion for you. And I just want to say that it's only a matter of time until he stirs and fans into flame in your heart purpose and passion that echoes back towards him. How can, the, how can we then be sure that each of us has a unique purpose? Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by, the gra- for by grace, you have been saved through faith. How are you saved? How do you come to salvation? Through faith alone. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not of works. It's not about going to church enough. It's not about reading enough or doing good enough. It is, it is literally by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and making him, yielding to him, as your Lord and Savior, that he is the one. He only is the one that can free you from sin and death. And when you give your life to him, when you give over control to him, when you give up selfishness, when you give up your own rhythms and you say, I want you to be the one that that grasps my life and I will follow you, Jesus. When you do that, it 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 is not of our own works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. And you were made for good works, that you should walk in them. Now, usually I don't pause and emphasize something like a word should, because it's not, I mean, it's the word should. It's not that profound. But commentators write about this word should. It is a marker of purpose that points to the goal of an event. 
should also lets us know that it's not guaranteed, it's not guaranteed that you will walk into your calling. God always creates an invitation for us that we can either embrace or reject. And there are two foundational core beliefs that I want to discuss briefly that must be solidified before your specific calling develops and manifests. Otherwise, it's going to be a complete disaster. Someone say, no disaster. disaster. It's not a great repetitive thing, but (laughs) say it again. No disaster. disaster. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for going with me. Okay. No disaster. All right. No disaster. Identity. The foundation of your calling is discovering who you are in Christ. Your effectiveness in your specific calling is dependent on knowing who you are and whose you are. Knowing that we get our entire identity as being loved sons and daughters, known by our Father, that we are overcomers, that we live triumphantly in the work of Jesus on the cross, and that nothing of this world can remove us from God's love and union. Our identity in him creates that unshakable foundation that allows us to grow in our specific calling, even when the rain and the storms come and the winds of doubt and change and discouragement come at you. When your identity is solid in the Lord, you have supernatural confidence. Even if things begin to fall apart in your life and around you, you know who you are in God, and you know that he has you. And you know that your circumstances and what you are building towards does not actually define you. God defines you, and it allows you to enjoy and have freedom in the areas that you are called. Even with me being a pastor of this church, I love you guys. I love this church. I am stoked to come to church here and worship with you. I love being here and a part of this this family with you. Now, even with that, even with with having a sense of humility and a sense of like a, a, a holy honoring of what God has done, a celebration of what he has done, I have moments that the Lord freaks me out. I have moments when he says, are you willing to lay that down and move to France? And I go, I don't know. I, that's a lot to ask. That's a lot. Uh, what if I called you to Paris? And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know about that, God. <laughs> I, I like Paris for about two days, and then I'm ready to move on. Um, I, I could do some missions in Paris. What if I called you there? What if I said, give it all up and move there? What if I said to do that? You, what, if, what if you weren't over a single soul? You, you didn't have a church of this many or whatever. You didn't have a platform to speak on. Would you be okay? Would you be okay? And the Lord will place these things in your life to reveal where your heart's at. He, he's not messing with you. He's revealing. And what he wants to do within our hearts is to live as those with arms stretched wide, just as his are stretched wide. And to say, this life is not my own. And so if he calls me to a place where I have to learn a new language, I, I'll have to get over that. I'll, ha- I'll have to get over myself. Because the calling is where the reward is. The true heavenly reward. Now, I'm, I'm not planning to move to France, by the way. Pretty sure I'll be here in L.A. maybe for life. Um, but I, I have to say maybe, because what if God does something different? Like, this life is not my own. It really isn't. 
And so the question, whatever you are holding, whatever calling you have, whatever audience you have, wherever you have influence, can we live open-handed? Is, is he looking at that area and saying, you know what? You've attached a little too much identity to that. You've attached a little bit too much identity that to that, and I just want Tommy. I just want Tommy. Like, thank you, thank you, son, for leading a church. Thank you for doing all the things. I just want Tommy. Are you okay to just be Tommy? And I have get I've got to get to the place where I'm like, yeah, I think I really am. If this was all stripped away, I think I'd be very okay just being me and God. I, I think I'm in that place, you know? And I'm not saying I'm, I'm always going to be in that spot, but we've got to get to that place of yieldedness with our, with our calling or whatever God is doing in our lives. Our primary identity is as servant leaders. That's your primary identity, as a servant leader. Servant being the key word. If you step into your calling, but you don't have the whole selflessness thing and servant-hearted thing down, it's going to absolutely take you out. King, look at King Saul. King Saul, they, Israel wanted a king. All the other nations have a king. That guy's tall, good-looking. He'd be a great king. We'd be really proud of Saul. So Saul comes into the picture, but he didn't have a heart like David. He had a heart of pride. He had a heart that was not after the heart of God. And because he was not servant-hearted, it ended in devastation. John Brevere, um, I, I love his teaching on this. I was really inspired by a lot of it. And he, and he says, this was the wisest prayer that I pray. God, never, ever, ever allow my calling to exceed the character that you're developing in me. Let my, let my calling never get ahead of the character development. Let there never be more power than character. He may slow down your calling, but it's because he wants to do this well with you, and he doesn't want you to get smashed under it. Pride with your calling brings destruction. One of the main manifestations of pride is self-centeredness. Interestingly, it is the first sin ever to take place in the universe. Pride. And that was, that was Lucifer who entered into pride. Psychologists estimate that we spend 85% of our time thinking about me. 15% of your time is thinking about others. Not in this room, but everywhere else. <laughs> but what's the opposite motivation for us? How can we be assured that we have the right character with power? Philippians 2 gives us a key. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. How much do we do for selfish ambition or the desire to be recognized? How much do we do even just for the desire to be recognized? I, I think... We probably all do that in the church sometimes, don't we? But Philippians 2, 1 through 2, going just before it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if, if any affection and mercy, 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So that's the vision. That's the goal. We have to be willing to come to the cross. Come to the cross and die. Die to your selfish desires. Let God work deeply because that's where the freedom comes. When, when you lay down before the cross and you're like, these selfish desires, God, take them. Take them. I got to yield these things again before you. And, and it, it takes away that self-seeking and that pride. And so today, I, I just wanted to crack open this conversation a little bit when it comes to, to, to being aware of, of, of the calling, both general calling and specific calling on our lives. What are the areas that God is leading you into in your general calling? Maybe you feel like it's a season where he's really calling you to be um, a, a, a priest before him, to worship at his feet, to minister to his heart. Maybe it's a season where you are going out and you are bringing the kingdom of God and you're like, that great commission is alive and well within me. I need to preach the gospel. I need to see the sick healed, the dead raised. The power of God is letting loose from me. We have these different callings in our life, and the Lord will be surging them in different seasons of your life as well. But I want to I wanna actually challenge us a little bit today to take the rest of this week. Take the rest of this week, and I put some questions up here that you can take a photo of. Take the rest of this week. Can we take time? I, I would hate if the only time that you're taking with God is here on a Sunday morning. I, that would grieve me, you know? And I, I know some of you are just, that's where you're at, and, and that's fine. But I want to challenge you. Can you open scripture? Can you, can you pray even if it's just a whisper? Like, God, I don't, I don't know you, but I need your help. If you're real, I want to know you. Some of, some of you maybe are just in a dry season, and you're like, God, I just feel dry. I just need you to speak. Can you, can you come, Holy Spirit, and reveal through your word some of you can go for prayer walks and engage with God, but let this not be your only time with God. Can I, can I motivate you to just, to just take time, even if it's 15 minutes? The amount of time that it would take that a friend would drop by the house for 15 minutes. Can you do 15 minutes a day where he's knocking at your door? Let him, hit, let him in, have a conversation with him. Let him speak. And, and these are the questions. This week, Seek the Lord to highlight again the main callings and purposes that he has for your life. I know we let time pass and, and sometimes forget, God, can you remind me again? Can, you, can we set that target of what the callings and purposes that you have for my life? The specific callings. Secondly, where is God reprioritizing? We, we, we say all the time, we're so busy, we're doing this. Are there things that he actually wants to remove from your life, maybe even good things, to reprioritize so that you can start to step into your specific calling? And C, where have you compromised? And is that keeping you from God's best? And that is, that is in relationship to what I was talking about when we compromise in our lifestyle, we get off the path of life, we, we move into rebellion, selfishness, all those kinds of things. Again, the Lord wants to meet you in those places and bring you and surge you with his life again. But God, where have I compromised and what's keeping me from, from the best? What's keeping me from the best? 
He wants to bring you into the promised land for your life. He really wants to bring you into the promised land for your life. And so I think these are good questions to reflect upon this week. Sound good? Would you guys stand with me?